invite your attention this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is our second week on ecclesiology, the study of the church, what the Bible says about the church. This morning we will look at two pictures of the church, uh, three purposes of the church, and then we're going to ask or conclude with two questions about the church. Picture one is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, where the church is described as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now, Paul gives this picture in the middle of his teaching, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, is on gifts. And what he's telling us here when he talks about the body is that every member of the church, every person who's a part of the body of Christ, is gifted spiritually. Now, one of the reasons these gifts are given is to edify or to build up the body. And so every gift that's given, every part of the body, every gift that's given is important for the whole body to function as God intended. And, and let me say here, when you read through, not only here in 1 Corinthians, but other Pauline epistles that address the gifts given to the body, um, they're all working gifts. They're all working parts. They're not sitting parts. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, God didn't gift us to come and sit. He gifted us to work to build up and edify the body. So what Paul is saying here is, Every member is essential to the body. That's what he's explaining in verses 12 through 19. No one part of the body can say that it is more important or more necessary, and no part of the body can say it's less important or that it's unnecessary because the church is like a body. There are many different different parts, but they all serve a useful purpose, and they all have a significant role. There's no part of the body that is not useful or that is insignificant. Paul is telling us that every member of the body has a different job to do, and each job is necessary, and each job is important for the function of the body. Now, clearly, there are different parts, and sometimes we struggle um, with the fact that our part is different or someone else's part is different. We, we compare and we kind of grade the importance of different parts. No, different is good. God gave different parts that the whole body would function together. Listen, All of us in this room can't be the preacher on Sunday morning. It wouldn't work very well, would it? Somebody uh, has got to listen. We don't need a church of nothing but preachers. In fact, if all of us in this room were preachers this morning, then we need to go out and start about 800 or 1,000 churches because more preachers are needed, but they're not needed in here in this body. They're needed out there and somewhere else. But let me tell you, your responsibility to this body is not any less important than that of the preacher. We all have a role to play. I can't fill all the different roles. I can fulfill every role in the body. It's not possible. 
And so we all have a role. We all need to fulfill that role. And what God rewards is not based on which role you have, which role you serve in. What God rewards is your faithfulness to your role. Listen, if you're the, the preacher, and we have several preachers in our church, several pastors that could, could fill this role, there's a greater responsibility connected to that. There's more that we have to fulfill, and God holds us accountable to that. Don't think your role is less important. Every role is important. It may be different, but every role is important. Now, how do you discover and how do you fulfill your role? Well, Scripture tells us what the different gifts are spiritually. Scripture tells us how those gifts are used in the church. But most often, many of those who either have recently come to Christ or um, who maybe have known Christ for some time but never explored their giftedness and their means of service need some help with that. Well, we actually have a class called the Serve class, and the whole purpose of the Serve class is to help you discover what your gifts are, what your ministry passions are, what really excites you in life, and help you discover those things, and then connect you to the body in a role of service. The next Serve class is not going to happen until probably late January or February, but I just wanted to kind of put that on your radar. If you're not serving in the body and your thought is, well, I don't really know how to serve or where to serve, this is the way that you discover how God has gifted you and how he's called you to serve in the body. So kind of make a mental note of that. And when that class rolls around after the first of the year, I hope you'll consider being a part of that. So picture one is this picture of the body, many members, many parts, all are necessary. The body doesn't function properly and appropriately without every part of the body doing its work and serving as God has called that part to serve. The second picture is that the church is often described as the bride of Christ. Now, if you think about Old Testament image, imagery and what you know of the Old Testament story, God was continually calling and bringing his people into covenant relationship. And it was all often pictured as a marriage relationship. If you look at the Old Testament book of Hosea, the whole book of Hosea is about God's call uh, to his people and the covenant relationship and their lack of faithfulness. They're prostituting themselves spiritually and pursuing other gods and God continually through the prophet Hosea calling them back. But you see that, you see that imagery all through the Old Testament. If you look over in Ephesians in the New Testament, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, we're going to find that same imagery of being the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me pause here. This is not a, this is not a message on marriage, but let me mention something here. If you back up before verse 25, you see that Wives are told to submit to their husbands. And, and that's kind of, that word submit is kind of a dirty word in our culture. Uh, women don't want to hear that they have to submit. And the primary reason for that is the picture of submission in our culture is, if, if you look at a marriage, um, he's the king of the castle. He comes home for work, props up, kicks back in his recliner with a football game on and a beer or iced tea or whatever in his hand. And he rules the roost from there. And she just runs around waiting and serving him. But if you look at what he says here to husbands, you understand that a wife can willingly submit to her husband when he does this, verse 25, he loves his wife as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. What does that mean? He died for the church. 
When a husband is a true servant leader and willing to die to self and serve his wife, marriage is going to work as God intended. He's going to lead the family by service, and she will be able to willingly submit to him. Now, that was extra. That was free. Throw a little extra money in the offering plate, and we're good. Okay? All right. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he, Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. The, the profound mystery is one flesh. It's a pr- profound mystery in marriage. It's also, Paul is saying, a reference to Christ in the church and the fact that we become one or that we're united with him. So Paul here in Ephesians 5 gives some great um, marriage advice that God put on his heart to record for us. This is God's inspired word, but it's also a picture of our relationship with Christ. You see, the church has a very unique relationship with the Lord. It's like that, Paul describes here, of a husband and wife. It's exclusive, and we are, we are bound to him, and, and he cares for the church, and he gives himself to the church. Now, when you think about the marriage relationship, this is some good imagery, uh, symbolism from Scripture that helps us understand our relationship with Christ. As the church, being the bride of Christ, we're currently in a time of preparation. Uh, In in biblical times, when a young man and and young woman became betrothed or engaged, there was a period of time that they were separated. Um, They weren't together uh, until the wedding occurred. Well, right now as a church, physically, uh, we are separated from Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells us. God is with us every day, uh, every moment. He leads, he guides, we allow him to, but we're physically apart from Christ, from the bridegroom. And until he comes, our responsibility is to be faithful to him. Just like this young woman was waiting for her husband to be her bridegroom, she was faithful to him during that period of waiting. Well, Jesus, we know, is going to return. And when he does, we will be reunited with Christ. When the bridegroom comes, he will come to receive us. There will be a, a, an official wedding ceremony that will take place, and that signifies our eternal union with Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, uh, this is described, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, give God the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So we are the the bride of Christ. This is one of the pictures in Scripture where you're waiting for him to come. In that time of waiting, we are faithful. Let me me reference another very familiar text that will help with this picture. John chapter 1. Jesus, excuse me, John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what's going to happen. And in John 14, 1 through 3, they're they're disturbed. Uh, They know that he's leaving. And he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Would, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? No, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, 
you may be also. Now, you're familiar with that passage, but if you consider the imagery behind that passage, just as in uh, the previous passage we looked at, you have to understand the background of biblical marriage will help you, will enlighten this passage. Young man and young woman are espoused or they're betrothed for a period of about a year. Uh, they have entered into a committed relationship. Although they're not yet uh, together physically, they're as good as married. Now, during that time that they are separated, they're in this committed relationship, but they're separated. During that time, one of the responsibilities of the bridegroom was to do what? It was to build an addition connected to his father's house. When a woman, young woman got married, she left her home and went to the house of the bridegroom's father. They, they would eventually have a whole compound built around this house, but the bridegroom would build this addition to the house where they would live once they were joined together in marriage. So when the day finally came for them to be joined, and it was, there's a lot of symbolism in this, it was a much longer process I'm about to describe, but when the day came for them to be joined, the bridegroom would go to the house of the bride, her father's house where she lived, and he would escort her back to their new abode. By the way, interestingly, one of the Greek words for an abode or a dwelling place was the word mansion. Now, those two pictures have a lot to say to us. The picture of the body of Christ and the picture of the bride of Christ have a lot to say to us. But when you think about the two pictures together and understand the important reminder for us as, as the church, the church is to be busy putting our gifts to use in service. That's what the body of Christ is about. Every part of the body doing its part, serving. So the church is to be busy putting our gifts to use in service, knowing this, that one day the Lord is going to return to take us home to live with him forever. That's what we're to be about doing. That's why we're called to be faithful as, as a church or as the body of Christ. So this morning, knowing that every part of the body is to do its part in, in causing the whole body to function as we wait for the bridegroom to come, then the question is, what is our service? What is it we're supposed to be doing as a church? And I want to tell you this morning, very simply, the work of the church is threefold. We minister to God, we minister to the members of the body, and then we minister to the world. So let's look at those three things. What is our ministry to God? Well, our primary ministry to God comes in the time that we spend uh, worshiping him. In Colossians 3.16, Paul said, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to the Lord. So when we gather corporately, not that you don't worship individually all during the week, but when we gather corporately uh, as a body in worship, it does several things. Number one, it prepares us to come into the presence of the Lord. I'm always thankful that our, our worship gets us ready for what God's going to say to us. It prepares us to come to his presence. It prepares us to, to hear from him. It prepares us to go out and serve. But honestly, worship in itself, not what it does for us, but worship in itself is fulfilling a purpose, and that is this. God is worthy of our worship. We are made to worship him, and so our ministry to the Lord, our ministry to God is worship. In Ephesians 3, verse 21, Paul says, "...unto him be glory in the church." And in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. We're here as the body of Christ to bring glory to him. And one of the ways we do that, one of the significant ways we do that, is by worshiping him. Now, we also bring glory to him as a set-apart people. 
we talked about the church is separated from the world, last week we said this, and sanctified under Christ, set apart. We bring him glory, not only by our worship, but by the way we live our lives. As we live as people who are set apart from the world, as we live as people who reflect the image of Christ, that brings him glory. You're probably very familiar with uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So our ministry to God is to bring glory to him. One of the ways we do that is by gathering as a body uh, as we do each Sunday in, in worship. Secondly, we minister to members of the church. Our ministry to each other's believers is done in a variety of ways. Last week in Acts 2, we saw that the believers had compassion for those who were part of the body. They were willing to do whatever is necessary to meet needs. Uh, we know that in Galatians 6.2, Paul said that believers are to bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We're to pray for each other. We're to watch out for each other. We're to call each other in accountability. Now, that's not usually the fun part of being part of the body, but we're to call each other in accountability. As I, uh, many of you know that I've had uh, prayer cards that I keep in my car, and each day of every week I pray different things uh, for my children, now for my children, my grandchildren, for my family. And one of those things is that they'll always be called into accountability. That even if, when the children are small, even if the parents don't see what they're doing, don't see them getting into sin, that someone will see and tell on them. And I pray for us as adults that we'll have friends who will come to us and say, hey, look, I know what you're doing, I know what you're getting into, and, and you need to stop that, you need to repent, you need to turn back to Christ. We need to be, as believers, called into accountability if we're going to truly walk with Christ. Our goal as the body is stated in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We are trying to nurture and build each other up so that as a church, we can present every member mature in Christ. That's our goal as a church body. We want everyone within our body, at whatever stage they're at in their walk with Christ, we want everyone growing and becoming more and more mature so that when Christ comes, we can present every member of our body as mature in Christ. Now, I want to repeat something I said last week. If that's going to happen, small groups are vital. If you're going to mature in your walk with Christ, it's not likely to happen much or very significantly in this room. It's going to happen in small groups. That's why we have Bible study classes and women's groups and men's groups and D groups. It's in those smaller group settings that the process that moves us to maturity happens. But our goal as a church is to move every member to greater maturity in their relationship with Christ. We need each other. That's why God has put us together in a body. That's why he didn't intend for everyone to just live the Christian life on their own, but he put us together and he formed us in the body because we need each other. We're not going to grow and be what God has called us to be and be mature in Christ apart from each other. Well, what's the third ministry? We minister to God. We minister to the members of the body. Third, obviously, we minister to the world. And our ministry to the world is primarily done through the preaching of the gospel to all nations. The Great Commission is both individual and corporate. If we're not doing it individually, it's not happening corporately, but the entire body is called to that great commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and below I'm with you, below I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So our method of ministry to the world is the preaching of the gospel in both word and deed. 
Both of those things are important. We demonstrate the love of Christ by ministering compassion and meeting tangible needs. And you see that. If you know much at all about our church, you see that we are known throughout this area, this part of Little Rock, as a church that has incredible compassion and love for the community. I was at a, a, a medical office a couple of weeks ago, a place I had never been before, and as I'm checking out, um, the lady that's taking care of my credit card, all that stuff, uh, another lady that's back in their file room comes out. I've never seen the woman before. I don't know her. She obviously knew who I was because she said this, hey, I just wanted to wish you a, a happy Thanksgiving, and I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate what your church does for our community. I thought, man, that's great to hear, and that's what we're known for. We're known as a church that has compassion because we meet tangible needs in our community, and we don't do just, just do that here. We do that all over the world. Why do we do that? It's not just about meeting needs. Meeting needs earns us the right to share the gospel. You see, when, when we offer compassion without sharing the gospel, we're ignoring man's most important need. But when we share the gospel without compassion, we're offering a pretty uh, heartless and cold gospel that makes the truth easy to ignore. When, when someone is before us and they have an immediate pressing need, that becomes a stumbling block and a barrier to their ultimate need. And so we do both. We, we meet needs, we offer compassion, and then we also share the gospel. Please don't hear me saying it's enough that we just go out and we meet people's needs. We have to speak up and proclaim the gospel with our mouth. Just, just meeting needs won't bring them to Jesus. We have to declare the gospel message. That's what Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28, that we're to go out and proclaim the gospel. He reminded them in Acts 1-8, in case they forgot, when he said, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait. And when the Spirit comes, they didn't have the Spirit on them like we do today. When the Spirit comes, you're going to receive power. What did he tell them? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Guess what? The Spirit came, and it didn't happen because they all stayed in Jerusalem. But if you go from Acts 1-8 to Acts 8-1, you'll find out that a persecution arose against the church after the stoning of Stephen when Saul was dragging believers out of the, out of the uh, churches, out of the synagogues, and, and throwing them in jail. A persecution arose in Acts 8-1, and over it also in Acts 8-4, it says that the gospel spread to Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what we're called to do as the church, and that is that we're called to minister to the world by advancing the gospel. So that's what we do as a church. We minister to God through our worship. We minister to one another in various ways, and then we minister to the world by advancing the gospel. That's what we're called to do. And you see all of those ministries coming out of uh, being the body of Christ and being the bride of Christ, the ones who are preparing for his return. Now, I said two questions, and this is where it kind of gets tough this morning, okay? This is um, what we call around here family talk. I don't want to be your daddy, but sometimes I have to get on to you, okay? Question number one, why should you join? Why should you become a member of a local church? Now, the vast majority of you in this room are already members of this church. You've chosen to connect uh, with this body, but there are people that are here every week their guest. And it's okay to be a guest for a week or two. It's okay to love that prime front door parking spot for a week or two as a guest. But God, I know some of you park there and you're not guests. I, I see you. <laughs> I see you. 
But God didn't intend for you to always be a guest. Church membership is how we formally recognize and commit to one another as believers. Church membership is not just for you, it's for that entire body. You see, when you, when you come to Christ, when you make a decision to follow Christ, and you follow that up by uniting with a local church or a body, that lets us affirm your commitment. No one comes to join this church without sharing their testimony with one of our pastors. Doesn't happen. We don't want people thinking because they've joined a church that their eternity is secure, that they're faithful followers of Christ. We want to be sure they understand what it means to make a commitment to Christ as Lord of life, what it means to receive Christ as Savior. And so when you come and join a church, it lets the church affirm your commitment. And, and literally, you're giving the church you join oversight of your profession of faith and your discipleship. Now, right there, that probably made some of you cringe because what I just said is, when you join a church, you put yourself in submission to that church. And that's not just the pastor. When you join a church, you submit yourself to that entire body of believers. You're, you're attaching yourself to a family and its members. And so it's a choice you get to make. You're, you're not stuck uh, with a church family like you are with your biological family. You can visit all the churches you want to visit, but at some point you have to make the decision, I'm choosing to connect to this family. Basically, when you join a church, what you're saying is, this is a group of believers that I'm inviting into my life. I'm asking them to help me walk with Jesus. I'm asking them to encourage me when I'm discouraged. I'm asking them when I stray to correct me. I'm asking them to do whatever is necessary to look after me when I have need to do whatever is necessary to help me walk with Christ. But it's not just about you. When you join a church, those same commitments that you're asking for from the church are the commitments you're making to the local body. You're saying, as I come and I unite to this church, I'm going to help other believers, brothers and sisters, in their walk with Christ. Now, do you have to join a church to be saved? Nope. Not any more than you have to be baptized to be saved. But when you come to Christ and you submit to his lordship, you want to be obedient. It's about obedience. Just like baptism is a step of obedience, when you've truly come to Christ for salvation, you've surrendered your life to him as Lord, you want to be obedient. Baptism is a step of obedience that follows salvation. Church membership is the same. And if you're truly a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit who indwells you will convict you of your need to be a part of a local body, not just to be a guest. It's just coming and consuming and not contributing. You know, all through the New Testament, you see evidences of membership. You might say, well, I don't see in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it says I have to join the church to be a member of the church. But you see evidences all through there. In Acts 2, it says 3,000 were added to the church in one day. Now, I guarantee you when those 3,000 were added, there was some kind of record of those folks because the church was going to disciple them and follow them up. Also in Acts chapter 2, the Lord added to their number daily. Acts chapter 5, he added to their number. How did they know their number was being added to? Because they saw new people coming in because they had records of who was already a part of them. In Matthew 18, uh, Jesus, and in, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talked about sometimes the necessity of removing someone from membership. You can't remove someone from membership if there's no membership. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 talks about those outside and inside the church. So all through the New Testament, there are references to the local body, who's a part of the body, how the body operates, and, and the basic idea is the local body is made of believers in that area and locale who have chosen to come and connect themselves to that body. We saw in 1 Corinthians 12, the church is like a body. Every part is necessary. Listen, if one part of the body removes itself, it becomes ineffective and useless, and the whole body is hurt. If you're not a part of a body, if you're part of Christ, but you're not a part of a body, you've removed yourself from the body, and you will not be effective, and you hurt the entire body. If you've truly come to faith in Christ, you will want to be connected to the body of Christ, and you want to be active in that body. Now, those of you that have been sitting there kind of breathing a sigh of relief, I wasn't speaking to you, let me say this. Church membership is not just a status. It's not passive. It's a job. You may have joined a church, but if you really connected with a church, if you think your part that you're assigned is a part of sitting and soaking, no. Church membership's a job. You, you have a role and responsibility if you're part of this church, just like you do in a family. I doubt any of you in this room grew up in a family where you got to sit around all evening after school or all day Saturday watching TV and doing nothing. You had responsibilities. That's part of, part of being a family. Well, as a member of this church body, every one of us who are members of this body have a joint responsibility. Let me tell you what some of our responsibilities are. We have a joint responsibility to make sure that this congregation continues to faithfully proclaim the gospel. That's not on me, that's not on the pastors, that's not on the deacons, it's not on the Sunday school leaders, it's on all of us as a body. Christ has called us to proclaim his gospel and we all have that responsibility. If you're a member of this church, you have a joint responsibility with all the members to make sure that we're faithfully living for the Lord. We have a joint responsibility to make sure that we're accomplishing the ministry that God has given us. Please don't think it's all about me making sure that happens. It's about all of us making sure that we faithfully proclaim the gospel, that we're living for Christ, that we're fulfilling the ministry he's given us. That's a joint responsibility we share as members. And that's news to some of you. And some of you who were maybe thinking when I started talking about the importance of joining, yeah, I probably should. You probably just said, oh, I don't want any part of that. But that's what you're called to as a follower of Christ. Now, I realize that news is probably new to a lot of people, maybe even some who've been members here for years, that you have a responsibility you've not been fulfilling. That is exactly why. I've had people ask me recently, how come when somebody joins, they have to go through this Discover class? That's why. We delve into those things in the Discover class. We make sure that anyone coming to join our fellowship, number one, truly has a personal relationship with Christ. That's vital. But then secondly, we make sure that they know what their place is in the body. They didn't come here just to hang out. They came here to be a part and to serve. Now, I'm fixing to go out on a limb and do something that I'm going to get in a lot of hot water for today. We have a Discover class tonight. And if you're here this morning and you've just been hanging out as a guest and you're feeling some conviction that you need to join this fellowship, we have a Discover class tonight. Now, coming to Discover doesn't automatically make you a member. You still have to make that choice. This gives you the opportunity to understand what membership is about and to let the Lord speak to you about your being a part of this body. Now, Discover class is already set. They've already got the table set. They've already got food ordered. But I'm the pastor. I'm going to make an executive decision. And my wife's going to kill me because she does the food. 
And Kim Bailey, who works in my office, is going to kill me because she plans a class and gets materials ready. But listen, if you're here today and the Holy Spirit of God is a guest, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you, you've been visiting long enough, you need to connect to this body, then you come find me as soon as church is over. I'd rather be standing right here in the middle of the lobby. You come find me and tell me you want to come to class, and I'll do battle with those ladies and make sure we have a place for you tonight. Okay? They're not in the room, are they? Yeah, I can talk big when they're not around. All right, as a believer, God has gifted you to help grow the church and to get the gospel message out. You cannot exercise those gifts that you've been given. You can't exercise them well apart from the church, and you can't live the Christ life as a Lone Ranger. If you're a guest, either get on board and get connected, or if this isn't the place, go find the place. I'm not not telling you to go off somewhere else, but get where you need to be and get connected to the local body. All right, question number two, and we're going to wrap it up with this. Why should we gather? Why should we come here and gather? Why, does import, why is it important if you're a member uh, of a church, if you join a local church, why is it important to show up? You know, last week we said that the church is not, uh, not a building or a place, it's a people. But it's probably more accurate to say the church is a people who are assembled in a place. That's something happened the last 20, 21 months that really kind of shook that foundational concept. When, when the pandemic hit, online church exploded. I shouldn't even say online church. I should say watching church online exploded. Totally understandable. I certainly was incredibly grateful that we had a way to keep people growing and keep people Uh, in the word. And and let me pause here and and make the disclaimer I need to make every time I make these statements. You that are watching online, if you're home because of health reasons, I'm not speaking to you. If you're home because you have health issues, you're home because you have genuine concerns um, about uh, getting sick, I'm not speaking to you. Of course, I, I assume if you're home online for those reasons that you do everything else online. You don't go out shopping, you don't go out to dinner and do those kind of things. I'm just assuming that. I could be wrong. Here's the problem. Online church attendance is still growing. It's very convenient. It allows you to avoid the messiness of relationships. Relationships are messy. You have relationships if you're part of the local body. It's messy. Online church allows you to consume but not contribute. And I'm talking about money. I'm talking about doing your part as the body. And probably the worst thing about an online church is it enables you to avoid accountability in your relationship with Christ. You know, there are churches now that have what they call an online campus and they've even hired a full-time online pastor. I'm sorry, but to me, that's an oxymoron, online pastor. How do you pastor and how do you shepherd people that you never see? It's not what Jesus intended for the church. And the live stream option, again, unless you have health issues or some other significant reason like that, it's not good for you as a believer. It's not an effective method of discipleship. It's not a good way to grow in your faith. 
You're part of the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, you have particular gifts that you need to use in service, and you can't serve from your sofa. You can't experience a community of faith on your couch. A few weeks ago, I was uh, out for the week, and I was not scheduled to be back until Monday, but I ended up getting home Sunday, or Saturday night, and it was very tempting Sunday morning, because when I'm with you on Sunday morning, man, it's, it's full on, let's go, go get them. It was very tempting on Sunday morning to think about just staying home and watching online, just taking it easy. But I showed up that Sunday morning, and I sat right back here in the back in that section, Man, when worship happened, I was so thankful I hadn't missed out on that. There's something about the power of a room filled with believers worshiping together that you don't get sitting home alone in front of your screen. It just doesn't happen. I sat down Thursday afternoon and just wrote several questions. I'm just going to throw these out for whatever they're worth just to... Uh, to consider related to skipping church. Do you regularly skip family gatherings? I wonder why you don't feel apart. Do you prefer a hot dog or bologna sandwich eaten over the kitchen sink to a steak dinner with family and friends around? Have you ever experienced the synergy and camaraderie that happens when you're working alongside others instead of all alone? Jesus said we're to learn from each other, encourage each other, correct each other, love each other. Is that best done online or in person? Have you ever felt alone in your faith? Do you think much about fellow members when you haven't been around them for weeks? Do you know that failure to show up removes you from the path of encouragement, accountability, and love. Just, just think about that for a minute. When you don't show up, you willingly remove yourself from encouragement, from accountability, from love. Did God make us virtual creatures or physical, relational beings? You see, the problem is for us is we, and, and this is true of all of us as humans, we tend toward ease and passivity, which is exactly why God had the writer of Hebrews pen a very clear instruction to believers and to the church. It's in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We need to be stirred up. We don't naturally go looking for opportunities to love people and, and do good works. We need to be stirred up. We need to be challenged to that. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, typically when we look at this passage, what we often warn about is the risk of skipping to the one who's doing the skipping. And that's typical in the West. We're very individualistic people. We think it's all about us. But this passage is saying a whole lot more than that. Is it a risk to you if you skip assembling with the body? Absolutely. But really the focus here is that when you skip, 
you put others at risk. You have a God-given responsibility to other believers. It's not just about you not being stirred up to love and good works. It's not just about you not receiving encouragement. It's about the fact that as part of the body of Christ, you're supposed to be here stirring one another up, one another up to love and good works and encouraging one another. So maybe the next time you're tempted to skip, a good question to ask might be, hey, who am I walking out on this morning? Who am I letting down this morning? Because I'm choosing not fulfill my responsibility as a member of the body of Christ. That's a hard word, isn't it? But it's not my word. It's the instruction God has given to us is his body. That we need each other. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to gather to do the things that he has gifted us to do as the body of Christ. And does that spill over to everyday lives? Absolutely it does. But not if we're not starting with it here. You're not going to think about members of the body who are in need, who need compassion, need encouragement. If you're not seeing them, they're out of sight, out of mind. We're supposed to gather. We're supposed to work, not just sit. We're supposed to do everything we can. We're jointly responsible to make sure that this church is proclaiming the gospel message, faithfully living for the Lord, and fulfilling the mission God has given us. It's not about the pastor, not about the leaders. It's about the body. We all have that responsibility. Are you doing your part?